0: You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect Welcome life. to the Lanky Guys, Lanky Guys, Lanky Guys, welcome, welcome to the Lanky, Lanky Guys, guys. Welcome, it's welcome, a word welcome, on a welcome hill welcome, welcome, for welcome, you. Welcome,
1: welcome. This is the Word on the Hill, we are the Lanky Guys, my name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mussel. It was a clean opening.
0: Dude, that was. I, it was, it was. I just felt kind of like, I don't know, like a little early 80s style. I don't know what kind of flavor that was, but man, it just it just came out of, I, out of my mind.
1: Early 90s. Well, no, rap <laughs> really started in the mid 80s, didn't it? Like the the actual birth. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Rap yeah, like
0: like the real deal. Yeah. So I was thinking about this the other day.
1: Think about it. Tell me what you think. Did
0: um you know, most people have a tendency to think we're going to go explore space and we're going to find intelligent life out there.
1: Do you have these prepared before we start the podcast? Because you always have something to say as we begin. <laughs> Not really. Okay, sorry, continue. Not really.
0: I, I just kind of t- – I mean, we're just talking – this is the extension. I was about to go into the conversation with you uh, off the podcast, but I was just thinking, like <laughs> – like, reality- the conversation we were just having? Yeah, yeah. But- I, but I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, we think we're going to find intelligent life. No, I actually think that the purpose of humanity is to populate the entire universe. Mm. I think that we need to put more resources into the space program. But the church needs to also put resources in the space program so that we can develop space travel cathedrals. Because really, the, the reality is, is that when the fleets of ships are going to these foreign planets, we're going to need to have a church ship and um and so well, how are those going to be designed because like i think sometimes we can despair and think that the world is uh, the end of the world is nigh which very well likely i think could i just
1: be. i walked in here today and i said the end of the world is nigh basically <laughs> and so that's <laughs> partially why that's on your mind
0: yeah yeah and so i was thinking I, I was just thinking and i've been having this conversation with people like i don't know man there's there's some good stuff that's coming um well actually it's gonna be it's just gonna be total collapse uh, eventually here's and then and then uh, what's going to be born is going to be a profound space-traveling church <laughs> going to the ends of the universe. So that's just my thought. Oh, my. Because really, like, let's just consider what the church has weathered throughout the throughout the ages. It's like everything, which yep. is
1: the coolest. It has weathered. And it's, man, we're weathering some stuff.
0: Yeah, it is. So so this week, we're heading into the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time, which is approximately halfway between the Did you say howding in? howding we are howding. How- we're howding into it we're howding into the 17th sunday in ordinary time it'll be beautiful 17th mm. yeah yeah we're mixing it up this week cuz cuz really ordinary time is 33 weeks long so In 17 we would we would have an extra week which is christ the king so a leap really week. a leap week a leap week
1: no it's not a leap week cause it happens every year <laughs> right yeah that's right so not leaping no yeah. leaps so we're mixing it up a little bit this week because we've been in the gospel of mark for the last I don't know how long. Dude, forever and ever and, and now ever. we're in the Gospel of John. I but know. But it's not like a special season or anything. Do you... And we actually got an email about this before the fact. Do you know why the church is mixing it up and putting this into John? No, I okay. should read my emails. <laughs> I think it was just a message. Okay. Um. Yeah, you know, sometimes the church... Sometimes it seems like there's no necessarily rhyme or... Well, I mean, there's rhyme or reason. I mean, we're obviously in this reading because the church wants to bring up this particular theme. Right. Why do we switch to the Gospel of John, though? I don't know. Who knows? Because this uh, story is recorded in in Mark as well. Oh. Which is interesting. So the the Gospel reading this week, because we're bouncing, dancing around it, it's the feeding of the 5,000, which is interesting. What? 2,000. Did we? Just, why are you looking at me like that?
0: Yeah, why did we skip Second Kings, Psalms, Ephesians? I'm not.
1: I'm not. I'm not.
0: I've never heard. I've never heard I was you just, just jump into. I was this. just
1: saying something about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Oh. No, I'm not discussing it. All of a sudden, I felt like I was in no, a time no, no. leap and I missed the podcast. All, all I was going to say is that I'm struck because the feeding of the five thousand is recorded, and it's the only other than the resurrection. It's the only miracle story that's recorded in all four Gospels. Oh. It's in all four of them, which is just where, it's just piquing my curiosity as to why the church chose John this week. Yeah. That's all. Because c- Mark has a version of Yeah,
0: it. rather than having Mark. Well, so j- anyway, j- just to like give us some context though, our first reading today. Yeah, well,
1: obviously, I just wanted to say that point. Hey, it was a great Don't, point. No, you're flipping No, me. I'm not, I'm not flipping out, man. It's, I'm loving you. Speaking of flipping out, Elijah, am I right? Alicia, <laughs> So here's, the, I, I spent, um part I had some time yesterday. Elisha uh, is from Second Kings. Oh, sorry. Oh, chapter, we haven't said the reading. Chapter My four. My gosh, I'm spinning. 42 to 44. Second uh, Kings, Sc- four, 42 to 44. Good. S- Scott
0: Scott has also had like nine cups of coffee this I've morning. I've had four cups of coffee. <laughs> which is
1: which is uh, quite a large amount for not the amount for of time. <laughs> no, That's not true. That's no, not true. I've been up since six. Oh, okay. Technically, I've been up since three, but then went back to sleep for a few hours. Ah, okay. So, yeah, uh, Psalm one forty-five, verses ten through eleven, fifteen through sixteen, and seventeen through eighteen. And then we have the second reading from Ephesians
0: four
1: one through
0: six.
1: Well done. <laughs> John is our gospel, John chapter six, verses one through fifteen.
0: Awesome. So, so Alicia is this guy, which we, I think contextually, yeah. What? He's,
1: he's he's the follower of Elijah. Can I say a word about the pronunciation of his name? Elisha? Yeah. It's actually not pronounced Elisha. Do you know the reason that we all started calling him Elisha? Elisha?
0: How do I say it? So
1: the proper pronunciation, you're not saying it, well you are saying it wrong, but there's a reason we all say it wrong. Okay. The proper pronunciation of his name is Elisha. Not, so it's Elijah and Elisha. Right. So The reason we started pronouncing it as Elisha was because when people were reading the stuff at mass, nobody could tell the difference between whether they were saying Elijah or Elisha because oh, they're yeah. so close. So we changed so that in the, in the reading ministry of the church, the lectionary ministry, whatever, um, we started calling him Elisha. But his name is probably, if you're pronouncing it properly in the Hebrew, it's Elisha, is Elijah and Elisha. But we, that's very, very confusing. Well, but it's an interesting side note, but it historical is, grammatical point.
0: well, but the grammatical leads us into the actual it does because th- this this man is actually taking up the ministry of Elijah Elijah, yeah, elisha exactly i
1: i so I went we'll, back we'll and call,
0: we'll call him and Sha because I can do that. so Ja like handed on to Sha.
1: This is terrible. (laughs) I I hate that we're doing this. I hate that I'm not. No, I don't hate anything. I love everything. You don't love everything. I am mad about some things. (laughs) I came in just grumbling about politics and, and yeah. the state of the world, and
0: that's why illegal things. That's why I reminded you of the Spaceship Cathedral. Thank you.
1: Well, somebody's got to start building it, and it's probably going to get stuck in permitting because Boulder County doesn't get permits very easily. It's <laughs> going to be a disaster. It's going to be a nightmare, man. Dude, I was looking up. At, I was looking up on the internet ten
0: concept cars <gasps> that are, were dude. never went into production. Yeah, and one of them was this like uber safe car from the fifties designed by this priest. Really? Yeah, and it had like a roll cage, and it had like air-inflated bumpers, and it was made out of fiberglass so that then you could crash it and be safe. Because he just was really concerned about deaths on the highway. Really? Yeah, and this priest spent his whole life building this
1: concept car. I wonder if he was a terrible driver.
0: Or if he
1: was a really good designer. Or maybe both. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not. So I went yesterday back and reread a lot of the story of Elijah and Elisha. Okay. I'll, just for the sake of ease. We'll call them Elijah and Alicia because that's easier. To but I just want to point out to everybody that's not the actual pronunciation. Of the name. <laughs> is that fair enough? Duly noted. Okay. That's all. But I went back and read the story and I just forgot. This is such a great story. I love. It really is. And I started reading the second king. So we're introduced to Elijah back in first Kings and he does a bunch of things. Remember he goes into battle with the gods and Baal and there's the altar covered with water and the fire down from the sky. Remember all that stuff? Yeah. And he kills all the priests of Baal. He <laughs> goes to Mount Carmel and yeah, then there's, there's a that. big
0: finger in the sky. Right. <laughs> uh, made out of clouds. Yeah. All that stuff.
1: Yep. Um, but then I started reading the second Kings version of his story. So Elijah, he carries over a little bit into second Kings from first Kings and then you get the transition between Elijah and Elisha. But I I just love the story. I mean, he's dealing with this. Here's this guy, this prophet. Basically, what you have is this prophet, Elijah, living in this incredibly corrupt culture, in this incredibly corrupt time, when the people it's the northern kingdom. So Elijah is a prophet in the north. So the people have split off from God and his holy temple and his holy priesthood. They've founded their they've started they've they've given themselves their own laws, they've started their own liturgy, they've ordained their own priests and founded their own temples apart from God, and they've formed a li- religion around themselves, basically. And Elijah's living in this, and his job is to go and call out the priests, to call out bad kings like Ahab and Jezebel. Remember that? Yep. And basically to be this lone voice in the wilderness. And Elijah's doing this and he's trying to be faithful. And um, he's got this... Terror, you know, so it's back in First Kings, after he defeats the, the priests, after he proves that their gods are actually no gods, that the God of Israel is actually more powerful, can do these things, he's feeling pretty good, and then everybody wants to kill him, and Jezebel's trying to get his head, and he's like, why? What? Come on, man! He's like, God, I'm doing all these things for you, I'm being faithful, I'm working these miracles, you're working these miracles through me, and yet, why am I still alone? Why is nobody convinced? This is not doing anything. Nobody cares. Nobody hears, Right? And it's this and he goes up to the Mount Carmel and there's this very near to desolation of just like why nobody gives a gives a poop about what I'm doing well, or about you and nobody's
0: listening. Absolutely. And he's has he has to deal with the the actually profound guilt of killing well yeah hundreds of people in well, his that too. hand like like dude I don't care which, who and, you are which but at this that's point hard. is now
1: seeming like worthless. Like what was the point? Why did you do Cuz nobody was convinced, nobody changed, nobody turned back to you. So what was the point of all that? Ma, ma, ma. And that's sort of what gives us into this week's reading. So while he's in this, God sort of comes to him and reveals to him, not only No, we're Elisha you... though now. No, I know. But that this is where it comes in. Oh, okay. Because back when Elijah is sort of almost in desolation, yeah. God says, no, you're not alone. And to show you you're not alone, I'm actually going to give you a sidekick. I'm going to give you this helper, this, this person who can be your friend and companion named Elisha, Elijah, Elisha, Elisha. <laughs> and not only that, but I want to show you, sure. he reveals to him that there's still thousands of faithful left in Israel. Yeah. And it's this moment of consolation that Elijah's not going to see all of this, but he's showing, look, you're not alone. And this Elisha represents all of these others who are still faithful. It's okay. And so what you get in 2 Kings then is you get the transition between Elijah and then Elisha or Elisha. Yeah,
0: which and, is which is it, it's interesting. I love the call of Sha from <laughs> ja because 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 yeah. because comes along and he's like, "Will you do it?" And he's like, "Well, hold on, let me. I got a couple things to do." He's like, "No, nah, I don't think so, man." Well And then he and then he has to like he 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 takes all the oxen and boils them in their own like well, yeah, he, he he takes all of the, the implements of the farm and boils them and like but then he follows and and well, it's actually really beautiful because like he's making a very symbolic gesture to saying like I'm breaking from my life and I'm really actually in.
1: Well a lot of the rabbis saw this all as a test. So Elijah oh, is I, testing Elisha to see, are you gonna be a faithful disciple? Are you are you gonna be the person who can actually take up this cause. And so he does all this and he's like, oh, I'm just going to take off. I'm going to go to this other place. You, know, you can just stay back. You can stay behind and do whatever. And he's like, no, I'm going to come with you. But all of it is this test to see if Elisha is actually going to be faithful and do these things. And what's interesting, so all the great things Elijah does, and he does amazing things. When the baton is passed to Elisha, Elisha does, you get this theme of doubling. So everything that Elijah does, Elisha does twice as many of, or it's twice as powerful, or it's doubled in some way. So, for example, you know, there's that famous right. story of Elijah who feeds that widow who has the child, and he multiplies her bread and stuff.
0: Yeah, because he he he's like going to give up, and then yeah, there, yeah. then there's a jar of, of uh, oil that doesn't right. run out and flour that doesn't run out, and they were just
1: going to gather sticks, and she was going to go die. Right, and Elisha does basically the same thing. But now, instead of a widow with one child, it's a widow with two children. And so he literally will do everything doubled. Wow. Yep. And as I think there's eight major miracles that Elijah performs, Elisha will perform 16. So literally, it's a doubling of all this. And the reason that's important is because, of course, you know, I'm sure we've talked about this before, You know, Elijah is sort of a type, in a certain sense, of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is acting like Elijah. He's dressing like Elijah. He's doing the things that Elijah is doing because the scriptures are clear. Malachi actually says before the Messiah comes, Elijah is going to come back and you're going to see him again. So John the Baptist, who is, properly speaking, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the bridge between the Old and New Testaments. He is taking on the mantle, in a certain sense, of Elijah. He's dressing like him. He's acting like them. And if you understand the story, what that means is not, oh, great, Elijah's back. What that means, if you know the story of Elijah, is that, oh, this John the Baptist, who's acting like a new Elijah, is simply preparing the way for someone greater than he, for someone who's going to do more than he did. Who's going to double up. Who's going to double up. Which and of is, course the, the passing of the um the baton authority between Elijah and Elisha happens where? At a river with a mantle. What river? At the Jordan. The
0: Jordan, not just any river, it happens at the Jordan River. Yeah, absolutely. Which is so cool. They go from the promised land, they pass through the Jordan right. to the other side, and, and uh Ja says, Hey, if I get taken in a fiery chariot, this is awesome. And so, it, if by any chance,
1: if this happens, and then you'll get the double portion of spirit because that's real hard to do. And that's bro. what he asks for. Elijah, Elisha specifically says, Sha. "That's what I want. I want yeah. a double portion of the spirit." Yes, and then you see everything
0: doubled. So, so Juh ja goes up, hmm. Shuh gets the mantle, hits the water, and then goes
1: through. And the reason he does that is that if you read carefully. There's this whole little community, this little school of prophets that have been following them around, sort of watching all this. You yeah. understand that Elijah is kind of the leader of all this. And so this miracle is performed at the hands of Elisha with the mantle and stuff to sort of, in a way, of showing all these other folks who are around and gathered, look, now the baton really has been passed. He really has the authority that Elijah used to have. Yep. So, all that being said, Elijah's big prayer and question, is there anybody else? Are we totally alone? Actually gets answered in the reading for this week, which you might not have noticed. What were you about to say? I cut you off three times in there.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I was, I was just, I, I was just marveling and and actually making the connection of of the pattern of passing through the Jordan of Jesus and his baptisms and and then returning into the promised land and going into the wilderness and like how like th- these two stories like really to understand Christ is to uh, you you actually really have to grasp what's going on here and to understand even the baptism and it just it just gives it such relief that I'm I like just rejoicing in 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 how how god sets precedent precedent but you actually have to really be paying attention oh
1: totally so what we get this week it says a man came from baal shashisha <laughs> bringing to elisha the man of god Baal,
0: hold on baal shashisha i mean anytime you name a place baal that's like bad that's it like a, that's like that's like but Burr. this is the Northern Kingdom. This
1: is what they're doing. This is it, it. Just it. It kind of grounds you geographically and historically, to show like, look, this is what they're naming their cities. But so, you know, the reason that Second Kings, First and Second Kings, were written in the first place. I was actually studying these books a little bit, and their purpose. Because it's funny if you read through these. You get more of the bad stories of both the northern and southern kingdoms than you do of the good stories. And it, it's, it, you can read through First and Second Kings. And imagine, imagine you were on a reality TV show and you had the camera <laughs> crew that was like following you throughout your entire day. Yeah. And then when they finally aired the, the TV show with you, they've edited edited it. So it's 90% of all of your worst moments and they've cut out all of your good moments you'd be like this stinks <laughs> like what it's all the things i'm doing wrong yeah. but in a certain sense that's what first and second kings are showing Is to, at least in terms of the lives of the kings it's showing all of the bad worst moments of these kings in both the north and the south and it's not that they didn't occasionally have good moments or do things that were right but what first and second kings are meant to do is remind the people of israel of how they got into exile in the first place why are we here how did we get here so first and second Kings wants to highlight all of the evil that was done so that people recognize oh wow yeah we did do all those things our leaders did do all of those things now we know what to repent of so that we can turn back and ask God for healing because okay. we know what we've done wrong we right. recognize our past so that's a word about second Kings. I don't know why I brought that up but Oh, yeah, the, the Baal Shashish. From the guy coming from Baal Shashish. Yeah. He's, he's like, Even he, these, it's a little road marker that should make you t- cringe a little bit, like, oh
0: Yeah, but, but what we're seeing is that here's somebody coming out of the darkness into the light to
1: actually come to this faithful remnant what? that's le- head up by Shah. And literally, it says he came from a pagan place to the man of God. He came from a man of evil, who this place is named after in a certain sense, to the man of God. It is, it's juxtaposed in the sentence itself. Yeah. And he brought in twenty barley loaves made of the first fruits and fresh grain of the air. Um the first fruits, the the time we've talked about this before. When do you usually give the first fruits back? Um uh, uh in the, in the uh, Hebrew calendar.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Not not Rosh Hashanah, no. um uh not the feast of loaves of of booths. It's fifty days after pa- Passover. It's uh that's um
1: fifty cost. Ah, Pentecost, Pentecost, right? So there's a foreshadowing of Pentecost in here because that's when you would bring your first fruits. Um, that's of course when the church is born, but, but here's what's, here's what I think is interesting about this. So yeah, um, Elijah, Elisha, you know, he said, um, give it to the people to eat, but a servant objected, no, this can't feed a hundred people. And he insisted, no, give it to the people to eat for thus says the Lord, thou shall eat and there shall be some left over. And when they had eaten, there was some left over as the Lord said, big miracle, really important stuff. But here's the thing. Who are you supposed to bring the first fruits to? God. No. The temple. The who, though? Priests. The priests, right? You're commanded to bring the first fruits to the priest, and he can bring them to the temple. Now, this is the northern kingdom, so they have their own priests. They've established their own liturgy, but I'm sure the law was the same. And they commanded people to bring their first fruits to the priest to be offered to Baal now instead of God. But what are these people doing with their first fruits? Bringing them to, Lu- to Shah. So, what are they actually doing to the priests?
0: They are putting them in rebellious. They're
1: rebelling. They're rebelling. Yeah. So, what's subtly in here is that there are people in the Northern Kingdom who are not willing to accept this, this false priesthood. And these bad religious leaders, they recognize there's still eyes to see what God is really doing. Mm. There's still a remnant who recognizes, no, this isn't right. I'm going to give it to this person because he represents the one true God. He is the true representative. Our bad priests are not. So I, I just think it's cool because it does show that there is still a recognition. There's still mm. a remnant, as Eli- Elijah was shown, there's still this remnant that gets it. And now they're kind of flocking to, they didn't fly, and that's the thing. I mean, Elijah gets more text. He gets more ink spilled on him. But Elisha actually is the one who bears a lot of the fruit that Elijah sort of set up. Nobody is flocking to Elijah, but they are coming to Elisha to bring their first fruits. And he's multiplying them. He's doing all these things. Yes. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of this beautiful thing. And again, it's, this, um, it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do in the Gospels. And I just want you to note the numbers. He brings, what is it, 20 loaves of bread to Four, feed 100, 100 people. people. So a, a decent amount of loaves to feed 100 people. They What's, don't think it's possible. Yeah, that's, that's one to five. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, nobody's going to be full. But, and it, it's multiplied, and it is miraculous. But just note those numbers, because they're going to be trumped in a big way. Because, again, just as Elisha now doubles everything Elijah did, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to blow out of the water everything that Elisha did. So yes. you get the steady progression upwards. Do, do, do. Bum, 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 bum. So, yeah, that's 2 Kings. Those are my thoughts.
0: I think that those are those neat are great reading. thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I um I think that um, I, and the fact that they have some left. I mean, like yep. you you read this and you're going like, oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean, it's it's a, a direct precedent yep. of what we know to be one of the great miracles that was re- one of the four one of the two things that is recorded
1: across all the gospels. Down to the fact that they're barley loaves. And which maybe that I don't know if the other Gospels point that out. John definitely points out that they were barley loaves. I don't remember if the other Gospels do or not.
0: I'm trying to remember if like like why barley? Because like I you know what I haven't like the last time I ate a barley loaf, I like I just don't really remember what it tasted like. I mean I I've had some of what was that one um where they mixed all the grains the uh, uh, Elijah bread no oh, it's, the um Ezekiel the bread Ezekiel
1: bread which I, was actually a punishment. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. They so, were and they were supposed to probably so if you've ever bought the Ezekiel bread, you can buy in the grocery store. There's this recipe in the book of Ezekiel for this bread that was meant to be eaten as punishment, and they were supposed to eat it upon a dung heap as well. So you're probably eating it wrong. So
0: so if you have a dog, you know how to go eat it now. What? That's gross. Oh, I know. Hey man You're gross. I hey man, I'm just scriptural. Yeah, I don't know why Barley loves. I was quickly reading. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, know. I don't know why. He was giving me the signal like, like keep, keep it talking. going, keep it going. And, yeah. I, I, and that's, that's when I just started saying. So
1: let's get into the psalm. Oh, no, sorry. I, I knew I had that. Sorry, that's why I wanted you to, to continue because I knew there was a, something there. Barley loaves, one of the things about barley is that it's known to be the food of the poor. Oh. So whoever is bringing these first fruits, and that, that's kind of maybe an underlying theme here in Second Kings, whoever is bringing his first fruits... Is bringing the first fruits of someone who is poor and really doesn't have anything. Mm. So it's this for, even that's foreshadowing what's happening in the Gospels. It's not just somebody bringing their first fruits; it's someone who probably has virtually nothing, who is bringing the very little that he has and saying, "Here, I'm giving it to you. I don't want to give it to these priests. I want to I give it to you." I made this multiply. for you, right? I made this for you. So <laughs> I think what's noteworthy is that it's the it's the bread of the poor. Yeah, barley is a is a poor the poor man's bread. Poor man's bread, mm. and that mm-hmm. takes us to Psalm one forty-five, which I think is really exciting. Okay, Psalm one forty-five. the the song, The response That's, we get. I'm glad you think it's exciting because I I, re, I read this
0: and I was like, I ain't got no
1: idea today. I got everything. How do you not have anything? Seriously, did you really read the whole psalm? I read the whole. I did not read the whole psalm. Oh well,
0: what do you know? <laughs>
1: so first of all, there's there's some stuff on the surface level, and then there's some stuff deeper. So the response itself, from verse sixteen, says, "The hand of the Lord feeds us; he answers all of our needs." Which is important because what's happening in the first reading, Elisha is multiplying, seems to be multiplying these loaves and feeding the people. But in reality, what's actually happening, according to the psalm, is it the Lord? His, yeah, his the is Lord it? is actually doing it. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry, I did. I, I'm not trying to trick you. No, no, no. Scott, Scott saw in my
0: eyes that I went to like a, a far off I land. Know, you I, totally got, did. I got, I got the thousand yard <laughs> stare because I actually just read this again, and then I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> what? Why was I not connecting this before? I don't know because it, because it, it's, it's like it's like you open your hand and they eat it's like, it's like <laughs> I don't know what this has to do with I don't, anything I don't even know why they put this psalm in here man. <laughs> well that's why I was a little confused <laughs> and then, but then it all came together I'm glad you I'm glad you you pushed me on that and one. there's
1: a piece of that in the gospel as well that um that has to do with who is actually doing the distribution of these loaves in the gospels and who is actually doing this and which has everything to do with the priesthood and the Eucharist and and what this means so right. Which is very exciting in the first reading. Again, they're not. It's not just that Elisha is so great. It's that God is working through this guy. God is feeding us, and he is here's his representative. Well, and it
0: says, and they ate according to the word of the Lord. Like, and and so like, there's mm. th- there's a representation in the first reading.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So it's so it, yes, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's an acknowledgement that it, that, yeah. that it's not that I'm sweet. It's that the Lord is doing this, and that I am a I am a
1: cooperative party. You are sweet though. Hey, my coffee is sweet. But here's the other thing about it. So Psalm 145, here's what's interesting. This is the last acrostic psalm in the Psalter. Which is missing And it's missing by far none. the biggest. What? It's missing one. It Was it missing? None.
0: So this is actually... <laughs> 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 you, you jerk <laughs> no, no i'm serious Continue. It, it's it's a, it's an acrostic but and so the the medievals were trying to figure out they were like why is it missing one one letter out of everything, and so they so it's actually divided into three uh, three separate things of seven strophes apiece. Hmm. So that then it's actually trying to convey covenant, mm. uh, but but they but they were all confused and Venerable Bede and all these guys yeah. they you know they they didn't quite exactly know why because in the Vulgate they added it back in. Well, did they really? It, yeah, but in the Hebrew, no. but in the Hebrew it's actually missing one letter, which is very which which well, some were were hypothesizing that everything's imperfect. It's only the Lord. Who is perfect,
1: and I don't even know. Well, I mean, I think there's a the Christian. So an acrostic, by the way, um, if you don't know what that is, that that's it's a psalm or it's a piece of writing, but in this case, a psalm that at least if you were reading it in Hebrew, every line. Hold on, yeah, that if you touch it, it'll burn you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that acrostic? Oh my gosh, you're such a nerd. <laughs> acrostic. Acrostic. It, it's the idea that every line is a. a, a um, not corresponding what's the word a um uh, ca, <laughs> All uh i have in my mind uh, is subsequent acid, acid. <laughs> What's yeah, wrong yeah, with you it's it cross across acoustic each line is a letter of the alphabet so for and, example the first line would start with the letter a the second line would start with letter b third c fourth d or you know a left bet um you know get and, 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 himil and get himil But in this case, it's, you know, there's three lines that start with A and then three more lines after they start with B and then three. So one of the things that's interesting about this psalm, especially if you read through it, is that so this psalm has often been used in the Christian centuries of Christianity as a meal prayer because we receive our food and our things were fed from the hand of the Lord. But if you read through the entirety of the psalm, the idea, and especially with the acrostic, that it's covering almost every letter it's the idea that there's nothing on the earth that doesn't come to us from God. Every letter from A to Z, basically. It's all from God Himself. And the Psalm itself, if you read through it, it's extravagant. It talks about all of these creatures and birds and and things of nature that all come from us to us from God. The extravagance of this psalm and the way that it's put in the acrostic alphabetically to convey everything from A to A to Z um number 1 makes it a really fitting meal prayer but this other the other sense of this that he gives us everything he gives us and not just everything he gives us an abundance there's leftovers there's food to spare there's beauty to spare there's animals and insects and, and and trees and bushes and everything to spare because that's how God works. Oh. Now, I wonder if in the Christian understanding, the reason that there's one letter missing is because, again, we're dealing in the Old Testament. He hasn't given us all that he wants to give us yet. He will give us that. He will give us himself. He will become incarnate. Oh. He'll give us his son, but he hasn't yet. Now, again, you can't say that that's necessarily what the psalmist is thinking of when he's writing this, but I wonder if there is a little subtle Christian understanding that, you know, he hasn't given us all yet. He has given in extravagance, but he's not done. So that's oh. what that's what I take from that. Yeah. But it's neat. It, it's a neat... um, And again, it's all coming from him. Through human hands oftentimes, like Elisha. But, and I think that is a... I actually think that's a good segue into the Ephesians reading from the second reading. Okay. So Ephesians, which we've been in for the last few weeks... The thing about Ephesians, I think it's fitting for a number of reasons. Number one, the the church in Ephesus is dealing, I think, more than any of the other churches that Paul writes to in the idea of of what we would call like the New Age or the occult. Um, they, they were really into magic and, um, you know, superstition and gun- spells and things like crystals and all that kind of stuff. And that's why Paul in the letter to the Ephesians has that those lines about our battle is not with flesh and blood. But with the with the principalities, the principalities and, power. and powers and the world rulers of this present darkness, there's a spiritual battle going on, which is what's happening in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus is cool because there's so much occult stuff and new agey stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm always, you know, in a lot of ways, I always think of Ephesus as like the boulder of its time. It was really big into the new age. There was a lot of partying that happened. It was surrounded by a lot of beauty. Yep. Um, There was was a gigantic pagan temple. There was a pagan, one of the seven wonders of the world was there, which was the temple to the goddess Artemis, who was one of the most important goddesses of the time. And what's fascinating about all of that, so this crazy kind of wonky town is the town where Paul spends a great deal of time. His right-hand man, Timothy, becomes bishop there. John, the beloved apostle, takes the blessed mother, Mary, to live her last days in Ephesus. Like the biggest superstars of the church all decide to go and move to Ephesus. Which is fascinating. And the, the house where it's believed that Mary spent her last days, and both John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI have both go, gone and prayed at this place. Yeah. But the house where many people believe Mary spent her last days is on this big hill overlooking the temple built to Artemis. And what's interesting about that is the temple to Artemis, Artemis, this goddess who was so powerful, this massive temple, she held a number of titles. She was called the Queen of Heaven and Earth. She was called the Divine Mother. She was called the Blessed Virgin. Really, she held all these titles, and it's not a coincidence that Mary then takes those titles back from this false god who has usurped it. And I imagine Mary, the true Queen of Heaven and Earth, the true Blessed Mother, the true Divine Virgin, walking out of her house every morning, you know, with her cup of coffee or whatever she was drinking, looking at the Temple of Artemis, praying over the city. You know, I it's just—it's a fascinating thought. And then years later, hundreds of years later, it's the Council of Ephesus, the church council that's held in that town, who defined Mary as the Theotokos, the Mother of God.
0: Wow. So there, there's so
1: many neat connections to what's going on here. And the Dude,
0: you've said that before, and every single time, I just oh, rejoice it's so cool. in it. It's so cool. I just
1: love it. I mean, imagine, imagine the parish in Ephesus. You walk in, like St. Paul is presiding over Mass, and there's Timothy up there on the altar, and Blessed Mother is... Sitting in the front row, and John is an usher. I, you know, I mean, it's crazy. And <laughs> yeah. Apollos is over there doing the first reading. I mean, it, this is the superstar church, which, sorry, I, I could talk about Ephesus all day. What's fascinating about this is that there's a warning in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus specifically that, um, There was a time in Ephesus, in the churches of of Ephesus's history, where it was filled with good works and it was doing the right things and it was holy, but it had lost its way. Mm -hmm. And there was a warning in Revelation that if the church of Ephesus does not turn back to the good things that it used to be, that the Lord would take away the lampstand, which represented the church itself in that town. And what's fascinating is to this day, there is no church in the city of Ephesus or in the region because it disappeared. So the church that literally was the home to Paul and Timothy and Apollos and John and the Blessed Mother, the, the church that you would think, like, this is the most powerful church on earth, they lost their way and the church was taken from, there, from them. Jeez. Which is a fascinating and I think uh, a dire warning you know, yeah. to everyone, to all of us as Catholics, to think, wow, we, we can't let ourselves get comfortable. And I think it's beautiful. We, we actually are living in a time now where it's impossible for Catholics to be comfortable because the world is is against us in a lot of ways and we're seen as fools or bigots or whatever because of what our church teaches. We can't be comfortable anymore. Gone are the days when we can just kind of hang tight and be comfortable Catholics. It's just not there anymore, Right. which is is probably a good thing. But anyway, all of that being said, all that background being given, the thing that I think connects uh, the Ephesians reading to everything else is what Paul says here. He says, brothers and sisters, I, a prisoner for the Lord, so he's in prison, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call which you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another through love, striving um, to persevere, da-da-da-da-da. He talks about the baptism that you've been given. So what I think is fascinating, if you connect these readings, the first reading is all about Elisha, the, the representative of God. Giving something to the people to receive. And in this case, it's bread to eat. Yeah. Jesus is going to do the same thing. He's going to nourish their physical needs. But Paul now is talking about, no, 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 what have you really received? like this, yes, there's there's your physical needs are cared for, right. But what you have received from the hand of God in its extravagance, as highlighted by the Psalms, is not just bread. But it's the call that that bread brings along with it. It's not just water, but it's the change of identity that that water actually brings. Your reception, what you've received from the hands of God through the hands of priests and ministers is this call through your baptism, which you are to go out and bear with one another through love, to persevere in the bond of peace and to be a witness to the world that's what you've actually been given. It's not just bread. It's not just water. It's what those things bear with them, the grace that it brings. Yes. And I think that was, a, it's just a neat tie-in to what this actually means. Yeah. The, the, and, and, like, and and giving
0: a real perspective on how to actually go through and live that calling. Mm. And I like how you're, you're breaking out the, the calling and what that actually means. Yeah. Because that is something that is where we are now. I mean, literally like the, the calling that we have received, we must live this out. Like that's how, how did, how did the Roman, how did the most pagan empire ever in the whole world, how are they converted through loneliness, meekness, patience, and forbearance and love? Absolutely. Like that, that's, that's that's like, those are, but, but if you look at all of those, what do those imply? I mean, each Mm. one of those things. So loneliness, what does loneliness imply? Haughtiness and pride hmm. meekness um, the capitalization on one's own power the will to power meekness yeah. stands in the face of the will to power yeah patience what does it imply impatience yeah. like what yeah. is forbearance what does it imply total disagreement actually you can you can have, you can actually translate forbearance into tolerance can you oh. yeah yeah eh. in the greek but but notice how tolerance is what is it offset by hmm. love love so this is the thing: is that that's you and I have had that conversation before of saying like like don't tolerate me, love me. Uh. No, tolerate me in love. Yeah, yeah. Like like yeah. that's actually that's actually even better than just an ex- exclusive reality because tolerance. What does it imply? Mm. It implies that there is something better. Yeah, tolerance says that that, that I actually understand something something greater, and I actually and so that's one of those things that it's funny cuz that's that that can be a, a banner tolerance yeah. yep absolutely but in our culture it says tolerate me yeah. but th- this is the thing is that tolerance and love says that i actually believe that there is some sort of progress that we're moving towards yeah absolutely and and and, and that, that that there is a destiny a telos yes and so and where does it come from it comes from this baptism this call the hand of god which is ultimately
1: the hand of god yeah 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 i love it which gives us a couple of minutes to cover the gospel. That's all we need. <laughs> That's all we need. We can need. nail it, dude. You love John.
0: I love. I love John, and I also love this little boy who show, mm. shows up, and he has five barley. Lo- well, hold on. But we have Philip. Now this is the this is the interesting Philip, where's thing. Where's Philip? What's he doing? Philip is the Did one. I miss who's, Philip? Philip. Oh, there's the, Philip. There he is. He's the one who's being tested.
1: Oh, Philip! Look
0: at him. See, so what? What's happening is that we have the call of. A sh- a sh- to sh- who's being tested. Are you all the way in? Ooh, and, wow. And now you I have the seen. call of Jesus to Philip. Are you all the way in? Can
1: you imagine Jesus turning to you with like a crowd of 20,000 coming or 5,000 coming and be like, hey, is there a store nearby? Where are we going to get them? <laughs> I just love that line. He turns to <laughs> Philip and he's like, hey, where can we go and feed them? You know, it's like—is there a McDonald's my
0: Yeah, it's so funny in the way that it's the way that it says. It's like, where are we going to get enough to feed him? And like, you can see Philip like almost like I see you kind of like famil- f- Philip, like I can see Femilip. you Familip, <laughs> <laughs> like like there's this moment where if I were to be like, L- Scott, how do we do this?
1: You would look at me and you would try, <laughs> like you have a you have. He a doesn't case. try though. He gives a he gives a excuse. He says two hundred days' wages wouldn't be enough to feed them a little well, well no this but uh, 200 but, Dave's wages by the way and that time was about fifteen thousand dollars. no this is the thing though is that is that
0: he what's he doing he's going through the mental exercise so what what he's doing what we see is that there's a gap so he's like how do i do this yeah and he says okay what
1: what's going on like okay he and so because he's doing calculations in his mind <laughs> here's why it's like me it's because you're gonna ask me that. I'm gonna be thinking about it, thinking it through, doing the calculations, and somebody like Andrew is gonna step in and have the solution, and I'm gonna be <laughs> forgotten about for the rest of the reading. Oh, Andrew figured it out, even though Scott was sitting there trying. But but what? Poor Philip. He never gets mentioned again. No, he does. Well, not here. Not here. No,
0: it, it, just a little bit later on. See, Philip. What does what does he become? He I com- don't know. becomes the bridge to the Greeks.
1: So, you mean in Acts
0: in acts yes oh so, yeah he showed yeah so, so th- this is the thing is that, that that so we actually have to have a, a, a story arc with philip yeah. and and That's then true. and then philip like he he's in he wants to know the father from the last supper yeah. he wants to know all of these sorts of things but andrew andrew shows up and what is and <laughs> steps and on his toes steps on his toes and he says hey here's a
1: kid who has five barley loaves and two fish again barley loaves being the food of the poor
0: yeah and, and I love the, sim- the symbolic nature of the, f- the five loves and the two But he
1: dish. even says, even Andrew is like, but what good are these for so many? So it's not like he, he actually necessarily thinks they're a solution. Or maybe he does. And maybe he's now, maybe he has the true faith of, of saying, maybe we're reading this wrong grammatically when he says, but what good are these for so many? Maybe he's actually asking Jesus the question, like, are these good enough? Like, Mm. can you do something with this? Yes. What good are these? Not in a sarcastic way, but like, what good can you do with these, Jesus? Because later on, remember in a couple lines, they call him the prophet, capital P, which was a known title for Elijah. Yes. Or Elisha well, I guess Alicia sort of would Elisha always gets the short end of the stick. He does more than Elijah did, but he just doesn't get as much press for it.
0: Yeah. Well and and so so I like this kid. Why does he have five barley loaves and two fish? Because his dad was like, Take everything we have and go sell it. He probably Mm. was a kid right from there. And so the kid Mm. was probably selling it to these crowds. Uh. And so, <laughs>
1: he's a street vendor.
0: He's a, he totally is a street vendor. Oh. He's ca- he's a capitalist with his dad. Oh. So what, what's he going to do? Interesting. And, and so there's a generosity yeah. and like a trepidation. I would imagine yeah. that this kid and like go of course, here's the prophet. Yeah. You know what I mean, he's right into the center of things. Yeah. And then you have the symbolic reality of the five of, of the whenever you see five, you think Torah. And then you see the right. two, which is the, the the prophets and the writings. The
1: prophets and the writings, Yep, Psalms and the prophets.
0: So it's actually
1: taking all of the Old Testament. And the young boy is often meant to represent the Jewish people themselves. Oh. Who actually, Jesus receives the Old Testament. He receives the law and the prophets from the Jewish people. The writings are given over to Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They point to Jesus. They're handed to Jesus. And then Jesus, what receives the Old Testament scriptures, and he breaks them deeper. And he gives the multitudes. Remember, this is what he's doing throughout the Gospels. He says, you have heard it said, da, da 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 but now I tell you, you've heard it said in the prophets, in the law, these things. Now I up the ante. Now I do this. Now I break open these Old Testament laws, and I tell you shall not look at a woman. Lustful. You know, all these things. Yeah. That's how I've heard, uh, I think, the venerable Bede used that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about him a lot today.
0: I know, dude. He's bead. yeah. He's. Uh, I feel like I'm at a jewelry store. Seriously. <laughs> um. So so uh. it, it's it, it's really it's really interesting. Yeah. Like. Um.
1: And they have wicker baskets, so they were living in my mom's house in 1985. <laughs> Dude, wicker.
0: I, was, I was out <laughs> shopping with some people the other day for our coffee shop. We had a and, lot of wicker
1: in our house growing up.
0: Yeah, and, and somebody suggested getting wicker furniture. And, and we used to have wicker at my parents' house. And I hate
1: wicker. I love <laughs> oh, you, Mom. the worst. Mom, Me too. I love you, Mom. I'm sure you don't listen. But if you were, I just w- I love you, but I hated your wicker. <laughs> it always stabbed you and it was oh, it's just the and, worst and it,
0: it is creakly and it breaks down but i saw i saw an instructables on how to fix wicker furniture Just throw it
1: out no don't throw it out but Jesus, no. the worst
0: but okay anyway okay anyway we we come back so i mean but, we really see the progression i feel like we've talked mostly about no this. we
1: have talk to me though about when jesus says gather the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted there's got to be something to that line. Jesus is desperately wanting nothing to be wasted. What do you think the symbolism is there? Yeah. The, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah I, I do. Are we talking look, about
1: people? Are we talking about nobody being left out, being left behind, like the good shepherd stuff? Well, I looked at the word, and the word is is like ruined or
0: destroyed. Really? Yeah. So Ooh, nothing, nothing will be ruined. Oh. Like a, a destroyed. I, I was just, because I was trying to grapple with, mm. what is what does he mean nothing is going to be? And, and so- I think that that's where it's, it's like, um, it's like the part of the conversation that we've always been having here, which is, was it not necessary that everything contributed to my salvation Interesting, and that everything was a, a contributor to, um, to this, the saving acts of oh, Christ. No. So, so like, uh, wow. uh, the, so, so hmm. the old Testament, it's like, that's it's cool. like saying, I am the God of history. And I'm going to take all of this. Open. I'm going to take this, and and I'm going to take the scriptures. I'm going to take history. I'm going to take every concrete moment, and I'm going to break it open. Yeah. And it's going to. And what is it going to result in? It's going to result in the twelve. It's going to actually be found as, uh, as having its destiny and its telos within Israel, within yeah. within the 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 truth of. These twelve that have our foundation stones that we are a living temple, yeah. built up into an edifice to Christ. Like that, that's cool. That that all of this is like that. It's it's um it's not wasted. The history is the that God is the God of all things, of all of history, of all of time, and then and that it's drawn up and it's made sense in the yeah. final times in the, in the age that Christ has inaugurated upon the cross. Yeah. And and that we're that's gonna cool. that we're ultimately going to be able to celebrate in in church spaceships uh populating the rest of the galaxy. Yeah. That's awesome. Or it's all going to end tomorrow and it'll make sense once we once <laughs> we once Either we way. come into to to the the parousia, the great the great unveiling of how everything will redound to the glory of god and to christ i love it and nothing will be wasted because it all all matters and and i and (laughs) and perceiving they were about to come and take him by force to make him king jesus withdrew himself (laughs) to the hills by himself
1: again (laughs) which is probably gonna work out probably well
0: why why would he why would he bail because 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 now it's, it's Ja and Sha, He is actually trying to live his kingship in his people. Hmm. He is imbi- yes, he's embodied and th- they're going to try to do it in a way that's wrong and, and is gonna, okay. is okay. going to try to make some sort of temporal kingdom right. rather than a kingdom that is enduring unto this day that can weather every single
1: storm. I also wonder, because we're in John chapter 6, which a little bit later we're going to get the bread of life discourse. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, I'm just thinking out loud, if part of the reason he he backs off and takes off is what he wants left in people's memories is less about him and his figure and more about bread. He wants the imagery of the bread Left in their minds, he mm. wants that to be what sticks with them. Yes. So he departs because he wants that image in their heads. Mm. So he backs off because he knows what he's going to do and he knows what bread is going to become. Right. I don't know. I, I just wonder about that because it is in context. Again, this is where he's going to in just a few minutes. Right. After this, a couple of verses, he's going to they're going to be. Ch- he's going to say, "You need to eat my body. My body's going to be bread." And they're like, "What are you talking about? Let's go back to doing miracles again. <laughs> Let's go back to barley loaves." Right but he wants that bread imagery there. Right. Yeah, interesting. Because we're not going to see and and even that's foreshadowing because we're not we don't see Jesus in his humanity anymore. We see him in the form of bread. Right. So he backs he has already done this with us with the church. He's backed off. He's ascended in heaven. What are we left with? The bread. Right. Which is actually him. Yes. But he's done this. Exactly what he did here, he has actually done in the world, in the yes. church. Yes. Interesting so that we
0: can actually see how he lives as king. Absolutely.
1: we got to wrap it up, everybody. We're going a little long.
0: We love you. Uh, Shout out to Nick Falls. Nick Falls. Dude, it was good to see you the other day. Absolutely. Word to your mama. Yep. I mean, word (laughs) to your wife, who is now a
1: mama. Okay, either way. (laughs) All right, we will be back next week. It's going to be awesome. Send us an email. Send us a Facebook. Find us on whatever you find us on. (laughs) That's all I got. See you next week, everybody. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.